Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Kennedy, for the time again. Uh, it's really an honor to talk to you, as always, to share a uh, view on what is uh, happening in our continent and also to continue to, of, of course, uh, feed our mind you know, about Africa and about our value system. Uh, so what is what is going on where you are today? Give us some, some news. Eh? Where, where are you now? What is, what is going on there? Um, not much is going on in South Africa at the moment, other than the fact that um, um, on the 1st of November, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there will be local government elections. Politicians have started to crisscross the country, uh, looking for um, to, for voters to 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 vote for them. So it will be a, an exciting period in South Africa at the moment. Okay, that's lovely. So, uh, are you are you contesting in this particular election, or you are just like um, like observing? No, I, um, I I cannot contest in um, in the South African terrain. Uh, because these are local government elections for for those who will be running the the the, the cities, the metros, uh, and so on. So it's predominantly for the South Africans. Now let's uh, uh, move it to something that I will say maybe a little bit the beginning of it. Now, how did you get into politics? I mean, what motivated you to be involved in politics? I think there could be a number of reasons. Um, the partly uh, what we experienced when we were growing up. Um, at a very tender age, I grew up on a farm where my father was the farm manager. But um, um, on hindsight, now I can see that um, he was ill-treated. Uh, during that particular time, he did not get what he deserved uh, as a manager and so on. And um, growing up in the 1970s, uh, when uh, in Zimbabwe there was the liberation struggle that was uh, going on, and uh, we were, I was um, in my teens at that particular time, so we saw what was happening. We went to um, night vigils where we could understand why people had gone out to war. We could listen to messages that were chanted through various uh, radio stations by our uh, um, the liberators, would um, be liberators trying to sell the message of why we needed to unite and fight the colonizer. And um, that's when we, we, we became to know that um, the life that we were leading at that particular time, we were not particularly determining what we needed to do as a, a people. There were people that were in control of every facet of life for the majority of the black people in Zimbabwe. 
So when independence came in 1980, um, we, we celebrated, I was part of the youth um, that uh, went into the Rufaro Stadium uh, to celebrate the Independence Day. We also we had an opportunity to welcome uh, our political leaders that were in exile. And um, during that time, uh, we were part of a bandwagon. We were just, you know, uh, excited and uh, we were looking forward to um, the new dawn, uh, which had been ushered in. And uh, as I grew, we started then the discourse of uh, saying, well, that was then our youth time, uh, we were just following. And, and now it, it became necessary for me to, to, to participate actively in the politics uh, of the country and also participate in quite a number of other uh, forums in which we discuss issues to do with the politics of the of Africa and even of the world. Thank you very much. That is really very important, at least before within the conversation that we have uh, today. Uh, so tell me a, a bit more. That day that you were in the stadium celebrating independence, how did you feel? Uh, share a bit of your feeling with us. Um, I, I would start by giving the feeling that we had when um, the two political, the, the, the two leaders of the uh, former liberation movements or, or the liberation movements, uh, Zapu and the Zan, Zanu came into the country. The first to come was uh, Father Zimbabwe, Dr. Joshua Nkomo. And uh, we celebrated, we felt the victory um, that uh, was coming into the country. We were excited. We, we, we had renewed hope. Uh, we had so many wishes of the things that we thought and felt that we should be able to achieve as, a, as a black people. We also felt that it was a time that we could then shape uh, our own destiny. And, um, you know, the euphoria that comes with being um, uh, liberated uh, was what we, we had at that particular time. Everything else uh, that we yearned for uh, before the, the 1980, uh, we felt that uh, we, uh, we had finally obtained that. And this was the excitement that um, uh, could be felt and had throughout the country. And uh, as a young person uh, growing up at that particular time, we, we thought that um, uh, this was our opportunity uh, to, to, to celebrate an opportunity to embrace the new dawn, an opportunity to also thank those who had gone uh, out there in the, in the bush to fight the, the colonizers. So there, there was, you, you know, the excitement was huge. And when we were in the stadium, uh, fortunately I was um, part of those that were supposed to participate as youths in um, donning and uh, some colors, which we were not supposed to flip over, create the flag for Zimbabwe uh, and also 
uh, many other things that we were supposed to do there. So the, the, there was a host of excitement and uh, we were in a celebratory mood and uh, which culminated in um, seeing uh, Bob Marley uh, playing at the, the Rufaro Stadium, the hoisting of the new flag uh, and so on. They did, it was quite beautiful. And uh, that memory is still lingers in my mind. And uh, it's something that we'll cherish for a very long uh, time. That is very interesting. Uh, have you had the time to maybe see some younger people uh, down maybe uh, these days, or it could be your children, uh, then you will be telling the, this story. Has it happened? Uh, can you share that with us? Yeah, time and again, we, we sometimes talk about these issues and uh, what it meant at that particular time uh, and uh, what challenges were there before um, the, the, the 1980 and uh, why it is important to safeguard the independence that we have at the moment. Because um, many people take it for granted that uh, those who went to, to war to liberate us they did so not so much informed of what they wanted to achieve. Uh, on the contrary, um, those who went out to war had uh, this political consciousness uh, that was derived from the experiences and the challenges that they have met, that their parents had met and that they had also witnessed. And it became imperative that uh, for them, it was important for, Afri for Africa and Africans, uh, Black Africans, to take matters into their hand and liberate themselves. So we all, we at times uh, discuss uh, the hardships that uh, people went through and why it is important for people to remain united um, as we, we try to achieve uh, our dreams and hopes and they also live the ideals and aspirations of those that had gone to, to, to war. Uh, besides the challenges that are, of, um, that are found today and the first life that our youths want today, I think it is, we always remind them that um, um, the freedoms and uh, some of the things that we are beginning to talk about, uh, things that we, people remind us time and again, these are things that were known even before. Those who tend to preach about democracy, human rights, and so on, uh, uh, preach them to us. We knew about them. Uh, and those are some of the reasons why people went to war. And it is not a new phenomenon for people to begin to talk about human rights, to talk about uh, democracy, to talk about it. Because throughout the, the, the African uh, continent, wherever you have seen people going to war, one of the fundamental reasons why they had to go to war is to make sure that they have um, the one man, one vote, and they, they have the democracy, which is functional. They also have um, a, 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 the respect of, their, of the human rights and so on. So they were fighting the injustices that were there before. And um, this is why it is important for us to continue to remind um, youths that um, the independence that we have on the African continent did not come on the silver platter. There are so many lives that were, uh, that were, were, were lost and we must always make sure that we safeguard, the, we safeguard uh, the, that independence and the freedom that, the freedom that we have. 
Thank you very much for that. Uh, now, the, the key word I think you use here is uh, consciousness, uh, political consciousness as a twin. And I think that is what is leading our conversation today. Uh, can you share with us the, the political consciousness among the youth of your time? Uh, because there have always been youth and there will always be youth. It is important that the youth of today learn from the youth of yesterday so that they can also inspire the youth of tomorrow. So share with us. I think, um, um, let me start by probably saying that political consciousness is one's political state of mind. And um, this state of mind is based on the personal awareness of the politics of the country or of the continent or of the region. It is also based on the position um, that an individual might be having in a political system. But it is also shaped by the experiences that uh, people go through. And the, uh, uh, the youths of our time went through quite very rough pages uh, where they were subordinate or subservient to the colonizers. Uh, starting from their parents, where an adult, when he worked in the garden, would be called a boy. So you would see that um, you are a, your father, if you so happen to visit him, if you had the opportunity to do so, you find him being called boy by even a very young person. That in itself triggers questions why a person that I call father is called a boy by somebody else probably of um, uh, a very young age uh, by virtue of that young person being uh, white or being the boss of, of my father. So, and um, the other thing is that um, during our time, there were quite a number of laws that were put in place which did not allow us to move freely in our own country. And um, by merely going to school, we were op also opened up to the, the, to the fact that um, the, um, the, the, the traders, when they were coming to, 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 to trade or sell whatever they wanted to sell, they had stopovers on the continent. Uh, um, and uh, among them, we had the Cape of Good, Good Hope which currently has turned out to be Cape Town now. This is where we have people settling and at the end of the day, they are all over. And you have Cecil John Rhodes who says you would want to penetrate from Cape to Cairo. And this is part of the history that we were exposed to, which then uh, brought some questions among us, uh, some of the youth to say, why is it that we have so many things on the African continent that are said to have been discovered by people who came to, uh, to Africa. Yet on the African continent, the, uh, the way people who were there who were using some of the things that were said to have been uh, uh, discovered. Like for instance, we have the Victoria Falls named after Queen Victoria uh, by the, 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 I think Dev Livingstone claiming that he discovered the, 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 the Victoria Falls, surely. When you begin to think critically and analyze all these things that were happening, 
it it brought a political consciousness amongst the majority of the youth to say that um, there is need for us to define who we are. There is need for us to take our space, our rightful space in uh, uh, on our continent. And uh, it was also important for people to begin to say, um, we are not subservient to any other uh, 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 any other race. Um, uh, and as a result, um, this started to broaden the consciousness of many of our youth. And uh, you have youth, um, uh, you talk of Steve um, Biko, you talk of, um, uh, you can talk of a number of people that, um, that became so strong in their consciousness and the need for Africa to be liberated. And uh, our fourth, our um, um, early leaders then united and uh, then worked together. Uh, although there were challenges in working together, they then forged ahead and we now um, have uh, an independent Africa where most countries are independent and are trying to craft their destiny uh, using the means and the resources that are available on the continent. So all this came as a result of the, consci the consciousness that um, became a, so uh, uh, you intertwined amongst the youth because we see others that went to Ghana, for instance, the others that went to Fort Hare in South Africa and the others that went to different parts of the continent. And as a collective, these youth then decided to, to say, here we are, we, we now have an insight of what we need to do as youths uh, on the African continent to liberate ourselves. And how was it uh, possible to be able to, uh, to navigate, uh, to transmit information? Because at this point, uh, you understand that somebody is telling you a lie. You could hear, you could understand. Those who were enlightened, those who were conscious of what was going on, could understand that the, the things wasn't right. So how were you able to transmit the right information? Were there a kind of a way that you, you were communicating among yourself like this as young people in Africa at the time? I think um, we, we, you must, we must understand that uh, the few people that uh, had the opportunity to, to learn, to go to university, it was in the universities across the continent that uh, we saw a new generation of people coming up uh, uh, who became more politically conscious and who found it fit that um, we should breed our only leaders on the African continent. And um, I think uh, if you look at people like um, the one who started the, the African National Congress in South Africa, he was a young man who had gone out um, to, to, to the Western countries to study. And it was during that time that his political consciousness and awareness grew so much that he found it fit that when he came back to South Africa, he then started the African National Congress. And there were already other people, uh, leaders on the, uh, in South Africa who were in universities and discussing these issues. Uh, about the need to liberate our own, uh, our own countries. And um, even then at that time, we also had people moving from one part of the country to another, 
Like, for instance, the late uh, president uh, of Zimbabwe, Robert Mugabe, he went to Ghana in the 1960s, and it was during that particular time that he had an opportunity to meet quite a number of other leaders who were activists at that particular time. So it was during the, the sharing of these ideas that people began now to say, if I go back to my country, I will then conscientize other people of the need to liberate ourselves. And it was in small groups and um, the rise of the workers union at that particular time, where people were now beginning to come together in at workstations and discuss issues. This is the, 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 the emergence of the unions led to the growth of the political movement on the African continent to the point that um, uh, they started to collaborate and work together throughout the country. And uh, there is no country on the African continent that would then claim that they did it on their own because you know the, 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 when we had the African Union, when you have the SADC region, uh, SADC, um, when it was formed, the frontline states, all these were groupings of leaders that were coming together in order to share experiences and they find ways in which they can work together to liberate uh, African countries. So the, the, that's how uh, people were able to, to, to come together and uh, plan for, for, for the uh, liberation of their countries. And um, each time when this happened, the colonizers would jail these people, would arrest them and jail them. And when they went to, to prison, again, it gave them an opportunity for them to sit together. You would find that the majority of, the, of our leaders went to prison, and it was in these prisons that they, 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 they became more politically conscious and more resolute in the need to, to, to liberate um, their countries because they would share the challenges from people coming from diverse backgrounds and from different communities. And then they saw that the challenges that they were facing were the same and they needed unity in order for them to, to, to liberate um, uh, the different countries, their countries. And um, so this is how we, we find quite a number of our leaders uh, becoming hardened, resolute, and um, uh, they did not fear anything because they had seen it all uh, in prisons and, or, uh, and various other um, uh, places where they were taken by by, by the former colonizers. And um, the, the, this segregation which was there and uh, by, by the whites at that particular time also made it very uh, easy for people to identify who they belonged to. Uh, you would easily know that you are not wanted on that side, you are wanted by your own fellow blacks. So in so doing, while they thought that they were punishing us, they were punishing us, it also emboldened us, emboldened us in trying to in coming up with means and ways of making sure that we come out of the way they had pushed us. And they, we did that. We, we, we and um, here we are. There's Africans. We are in the process of trying to chart our own destiny as a people. Mm -hmm. That is good. All right. Now, uh, at this time, of course. Um, 
by forging a new identity for Africa uh, after uh, the they are be they are be ruled for a, lot, a number of years by the Europeans. Uh, of course, the Europeans were using other Africans who they educated to to run other Africans, no? And then there are these other Africans who want to be free. They want to completely be free from the yoke of the the European system, no? Uh, the the colonialism and the rest of it. How was it easy to navigate this trap? Because now these people that are that look like you, they're exactly like you, no? Maybe like the Zimbabwe who uh, were working for the for the colonialists. Of course, they were working for their masters. And now there are these other Zimbabwe who want who do not want to work for the European. They want to work for themselves. They want their country to be free. It's true that this is not exactly everybody's not working for the same thing here. And how was it easy to of course I'm using Zimbabwe as an example now, but, but this is exactly the same all across Africa. How was it easy for this uh, to to manage to to maneuver this? Um, I think um, the most important thing that we need to 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 zero in on is polit political consciousness. And uh, when we look at political consciousness, it is uh, we are beginning to see that um, it is um, an exploration of how of who we are, how we have been shaped through education, which is the tool that the, the, the colonizers used, and also how our values and experiences, as well as actions, can contribute to a better world for all, can contribute to a better Africa for all. And um, one of the most important things that uh, people also looked at is um, when one got politically conscious, you were able to see the injustices that were being uh, perpetrated on your communities or in, in individuals. And you could all, because you are politically conscious, you are in a position also to see those who are working for or those who are working against you. And there were quite a number of people and even today, as we try to build our countries and our economies, we still have people who pander to the whims of the Western people only for the few coins that they get at the, uh, the, as they sell in Africa. So one most important thing that um, in the case of Zimbabwe, uh, what our liberators did was to make sure that they work with the people, with the black people, conscientize them on who they are, where we are, their history, and what is it that we need to achieve. And it was important for them to also indicate to them the importance of their role as civilians to make sure that they come out from the quagmire that they, they were to come out of the challenges that they were experiencing. There was unity, there was need for unity. Each one of, our, of the people, be it those that were at the war front and those that had remained at, um, in the villages, 
to make sure that they support the those who are at the forefront and ensure that they remain united with one particular vision. Even though we had the people that were called the sellouts, they would go to the to 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 to, to the colonizers to uh, and inform them of what is happening. But the the resolve that the people had made in as a united body with those that were on the war front, it was very difficult to defeat the people. So in whatever you do, especially if you intend to win, you must make sure that you have the absolute support of the people. And the people must be informed of what is happening, particularly when it comes to the objectives of what you are doing. And this was done through what were termed night vigils. This is when we had people that uh, who were at the war front who were called political commissars playing an active role, a very important role in educating people of who they are so that they get to know of their identity, where they are coming from, and where we would, what we needed to achieve. And these political commissars played a very important role in giving political consciousness to the people who had remained in the villages so that they can work with those at the war front in defeating the enemy. And they needed to define who the enemy was at that particular time. The enemy may not have been necessarily the people, but it had to be the system that was prevailing at that particular time. So in whatever the liberators and the people were doing, it sought to fight the system so that the system, when it is dismantled, we have the kind of freedom that we have. It was not particularly against individuals, but a system that they had put in place so that it can make each and everyone in rural areas and in towns subservient to those who, who, who had colonized us. And the other thing also, it became very easy for those that had got political consci consciousness before those that were in the, uh, before those who were in the rural areas uh, to convince them because it was very clear uh, of uh, the modus operant that these colonizers were using. They wanted to occupy a bigger space, while there are very few. And a very small space would, be, would then be designated for the majority of the people. So for those who had earned political consciousness much earlier than others, were very, it was very easy to articulate uh, these issues because on the other hand, the colonizers were not very clever in manipulating um, the the system to to to, the, to their to their benefit. So even today, as we speak, we still have people that do not want to see things in Africa happening the way they are supposed to 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 happen under the leadership of a black uh, uh, leader. They are easily a but 
by the whites. Because what the whites, the colonizers wanted, they still wanted it today. They wanted the world, the resources that are on the African continent. So they tried by all means to use the divide and rule tactic, where they get some of you and give them money so that they can create discontent among people and disharmony among communities. And when that happens, they find a way of getting the resources, plunder the resources. And when they've plundered the resources, they will leave our Africa. And it is time that these who haven't seen the modus operandi of the wise see it clear and avoid them so that we can work together as Africans to build our African continent. Uh, it is uh, very important that somebody get that message in that uh, the fight has it ended. In fact, I, I, one time I, I used to, I was arguing with a, with a friend, I said, the fight should have stopped because some people thought that the fight is over. The fight is not over. We are not yet free. The fight is only over when you are free. You no, know? you can be in the forest and begin to remove the, the things that are falling on your head. You're not yet out of the forest, you see. So uh, what I would like to ask now is that uh, looking at those days, you no, know, when you were a youth, uh, and your formation, and now today looking at the youth, it might be now your children that are growing up and, and other people, of course, like them. How do you see the, their participation in government? Because like I said before, the battle is not over yet. It is very important that um, leaders on the African continent um, listen to our youth because the greatest percentage in terms of population are youths who are the leaders and the citizens of tomorrow. And um, it is also important that for these youths to be given the button by the current leaders, they must be actively involved in politics. The challenge that we have seen with many of our youths today is that they think that politics is for the old people. It is not for their generation. And they will only, they only awaken when they are also in the 40s and thereabout. Yet, as early as 18 or 16, you can easily actively participate in leadership roles in, in their political parties, include and even in government. And this is a deliberate move to make sure that these leaders, the young leaders, they can learn the ropes from the current leadership which is there. So that as we, uh, um, as we see the current leadership going into retirement, we will not have new people coming in, but these current leaders, youthful leaders, can graduate and take up the reins. So it is important for our youth to embrace the politics of the countries by actively participating. But besides that, it is also important for people to come up 
with an education system that inculcates a political identity among the youth that is shaped by the political community that they belong to. While we belong on the African continent, the various countries uh, whose borders were made by the colonizers now have certain experiences in the um, communities that have a unique culture built over a period of time. And that culture also shapes the political consciousness of the people. And we must therefore inculcate an identity, a political identity amongst the youth. And this political identity that we need to inculcate amongst our youth should ensure that they have a connection between themselves as individuals and the political community in which they live. So that they also have a connection with the communities in which they are supposed to serve. In doing so, they must ask critical questions of where are we coming from? Where are we and what do we want our communities and our country to be? By so doing, they will begin to work in their communities from a micro, micro uh, uh, scale until they graduate into a macro scale where they begin now to say, let me now run for a position as a member of parliament. Let me run for a position as a councillor and so on. They need to start from a micro point of view, identifying things that are within their communities and proffering solutions to these things that we have. Sadly, what we have seen among us, many of our youth of this day and age is that theirs is complaining every day. Yes, the current leadership, like any other human being, is not infallible. They make mistakes. Some of them, they are quite huge. As we criticize them, as we seek accountability from them, we should also be able to proffer solutions as youth so that they can use the solutions that we, you are proffering as a youth to develop and grow the economies in which we find ourselves. But what we have seen is that many of our youth, including those that would want to take up the reins of leadership, they think that you can only become a leader by criticizing the current leader. It is not true that you can become a leader through criticism. The best, a, a person who wants to be a better leader for tomorrow starts by criticizing and offering solutions to the current leadership. So that when you take over, you build on from where he or she would have left. The criticism that you offer, in fact, you should be working with the current leadership in developing what we would want to see our countries. There is always a partnership. There should always be a partnership between the people that are uh, uh, criticizing and those that have been criticized. Because it is through criticism that you can then work hard 
to improve the systems that are in place. But we haven't been able to see that. Many of our leaders uh, would be leaders, and the youth in particular, they believe that it is only through criticizing the current leadership and blaming them for everything that they are doing without even profiting solutions would see them in leadership. But that has proven to be a little bit difficult and tricky in some of our countries where through criticizing and mostly using templates that are not theirs, those in leadership have been able to see that this template is not a template of our own. And as a result, we shall not allow our people to listen. And we do not want that to continue. We would want to see a youth that recognizes the worthy and the work that the current leadership is doing and support them so that as they run in, in their, uh, during the, the, when their time is up, when they run for leadership, they're able to take up from where they would, left, would have left at a level where they would not start from zero. Echo, that is, that is great. <laughs> I, I said echo. <laughs> this is <it>. okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, this is really interesting. Mm. Now, I wanted to ask you, what is civil political consciousness and how do we develop it? I think you have touched some uh, area that sort of uh, already explained that part. Uh, but I will still uh, ask something related to that, which has to do with the... Um, political education, or if you like, the education that is needed to build the political consciousness in the youth. Because in your case, uh, you may mention of people that you learn from. Of course, this, they didn't break your head and put it in there. You had interest then, of course, that was married to the situation plus the people that were there to help you. So using your, your personal case study, what do you, how do you look at the, the education that is needed to, uh, to help the people to understand, develop their political consciousness today? I mean, the youth of today. I think um, in order for us to, to build on the political consciousness of the youth of today, there is need for a deliberate uh, policy. The, that should be put in place, be it at country level or at continental level, where we start to teach our children to understand their identity as Africans. We have an identity that is unique. So we need people to embrace the uniqueness of the African identity to embrace the uniqueness of the African history and the culture through which they can identify themselves with the demands of the politics in Africa. Some of our children today, they are not aware why we have Black Americans or African Americans. They are not aware of what happened during the slave trade. They are not aware of some of the things that happened on the African continent where our, uh, uh, our forefathers 
were treated like animals. All this need to be told to our people, our youth, so that they, it can shape who they are and it can also shape where they want to go. And this should be in the uh, political education that they need to, 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 to be given. Besides knowing their history, we need political education also touches on the issue of economics. It is important that through political education, we can also tell our people, teach our people, why African economies are what they are today. And why we are struggling to be who we are as Africans on Africa, why least we have abundant resources. Because it is through the appreciation of what happened in the past that brought our economies to be what they are today. If we look at all the economies that we inherited after independence in most countries, they were meant to serve a very few people. Even the infrastructure that was built was meant to serve a few individuals. Be it electricity, roads, water in towns and so on. And as we expand the numbers that are going into towns, and as we uh, prioritize to make sure that people have electricity, we begin to see the challenges that are coming about as a result of pressure that has been exerted on that which ordinarily was meant for very few people. And this must be told to our people so that it broadens their political consciousness and enable them to come up with the solutions that are tailored to create an economy that serves the interests of the African person. The other thing that we must also uh, uh, try to do with our youths, we, we must always come up with deliberate policies when, like what is happening in the Western world, after Form 6, people do not immediately go to university. They go for work experience. They go for national service. We have seen that happening in many countries. And in Africa, when we seek to introduce national service and work experience for those that would have graduated from a high school, it is seen as if we are taking them through indoctrination, indoctrinating them to an ideology that is foreign to them. Yet in actual fact, the national service and the youth service seeks to prepare our youth so that they get to know exactly the challenges that are in our economies, what needs to, 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 to be done, and so that they can also, when they decide to choose a profession, they do so from an informed point of view, either through the experience that they would have gained through work experience, then they will say, but this 
is what I want now to go and study at university or in a technical college and so on. But at the moment, each time we want to introduce this, particularly in, Af in Africa, these are uh, 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 things that we often hear the Western world thinking that we are creating a, a, a youth that is uh, being molded to, to defend only the status quo. Yet in actual fact, national service does not seek or work experience does not seek to defend the status quo, but it seeks to empower the youth with the knowledge of what they should then do when they go into university so that they can choose professions or skills that are relevant for the economy that they, sh they should uh, save after uh, university. The other thing also that I think is important is that um, when we go out to educate our youths, we must make sure that we educate them on political consciousness so that they can develop a sense of their own rights and ensure that they understand that for centuries, people fought to get issues of respect, dignity, economic justice, put into common rules. And they should not take these things for granted because it is through taking these issues for granted that we have seen the people that we have referred to as sellouts because they do not believe in what many people in the past fought for. They fought for justice, they fought for respect, they fought for the dignity that had been stripped off from us. And now that we have justice, now that we have uh, dignity and respect, we must do everything possible to make sure that this justice, this respect is sustainable. And it is through education, uh, educating our youth so that they become conscious of who they are, where they are coming from, and they understand the importance of their un the uniqueness of their culture and dignity as an African being. Thank you very much for that. Uh, you see, it's, when, you were, when you were talking, in fact, a lot of things were just uh, uh, coming into my, into my mind and I was just trying to reflect on some of them. You know? Like uh, uh, when you talk of the, the fact that uh, African youth need to, need to be taught about the past, uh, then I was thinking of the podcast we, 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 talked, we, we had before when we were talking about education. And I was wondering, ah, maybe if education in Africa was formed according to the desire of the African people, according to the need of the African people, this past that we are talking about should have really be, be looked into uh, from this point of view. For example, telling the African child that in Europe, some people were put in a human zoom. But you don't expect a school, a school system that is that has been uh, uh, that that not be based on protecting your dignity to tell you about this one. Uh, if you say that African children you don't know about slavery, how they were treat, how people were were treated in slave in slave trade, 
Of course, you don't necessarily expect the European-based system to teach you this one, no? Because it will not, it will not make sense as it is, no? And so, you sort of ask the question like, who do we really expect to tell this story to the African child? Because if we do not tell this story, this raw story, that in the United States, a lot of Africa were hung, were, were, were had to be hung on the tree. Many of them had to look like fruits. Up to the point that you know that it's a, a, a music that was done. The song is called uh, Strange Fruits. And the strange fruits actually refer to strange that human beings are falling from the tree. Who do we expect to teach this to the African child? Uh, who is supposed to tell this story? Because if we don't tell this story, these children will not know. And if, you don't, if they do not know, they are not going to act based on what they do not know. So that is a kind of perplexity I'm having. Like, how do we resolve that problem? What kind of story are we supposed to tell our children? Um, the African story can be best told by the African. There is no better person who can tell the African story other than the African uh, person. Therefore, it is our responsibility as Africans to tell the good story about Africa. I'm glad that um, I think um, we are seeing the launch of the University of the State of African Diaspora, which I believe will play a very critical role in Pan-Africanism. And um, it is important that the media on the African continent, schools, universities, should prioritize telling the African story. Because if we cannot tell our own story as Africans, someone will tell us a story. And this is what has been happening for a very long period of time. Because we have not been able to tell our own story, we have not been able to write our own books, uh, uh, chronicling our own history. Someone had to write a history book. Someone had to tell a story. And sadly, these stories do not depict exactly what we need to tell our people. Therefore, we should call upon all progressive forces on the African continent and those progressive forces in the diaspora to make sure that through the media, universities and schools, we tell the African story as it is. Because it is only in doing so that we can build an, Af an African who appreciates and values his or her own identity. Unlike what we see today, where through media, we have seen many of our people now taking up or looking up to people whom they think are their models just because of the pressure that is coming through our television systems. So it is important that um, uh, there are deliberate policies that are made by, uh, by, um, by countries. We have seen in some countries 
where we have an 70% is African continent and um, the rest, which is 30%, becomes some other continent, uh, some other content. And we need, we can even up that percentage on, on, on television and radio that we have 80% of what is channeled through television, through radios, be African continent, which seeks to educate our people to be, uh, to appreciate who we are. Yes, I understand that culture and many other things, they are dynamic, they are not static. Yes, as much as they are dynamic, we must always make sure that we preserve that which makes us who we are. And we can only do so by, do, by telling the good story of Africa, ourselves as Africans. Right. Now, in telling our story ourselves by, okay, by ourselves, meaning Africa telling their African story, do you think there is any challenge really doing that? Looking at the, looking, uh, looking to the, to the fact that there are a lot of highly educated people of African origin, both in Africa and outside of Africa. I'm asking the question because if we continuously repeat the fact that we should, we should, we should, it appears as if we do not, somebody might be asking the question, do we really have the capability of doing it or have we refused to do it? What really is the, is the point? Because looking at the capacity that we have, it should really be available. This story, we, we should have enough story to contest the, the alternative story, the alternative story, the alternative, the alternative story that we have. But up to this point, the question is still as if we are going to wait for a day that we should start telling the story. As if we yet do not have the people to start telling the story. So where are we that we don't want to or that we don't have people to tell the story? Well, we, we have people that, can, that are telling the story. And uh, there are many people who can tell the story. However, we must understand that the education system that was there uh, on the African continent was put in place to serve a particular system. Therefore, many of the professors and the other educationists that came during that time were serving a particular narrative or a particular uh, uh, um, a system. And um, it is why we did not see them coming up with policies or coming up with books, or that is why we never saw them telling this African story as it was. Because the education system was tailored to serve a particular uh, system which was prevailing at that particular time. Secondly, the colonizers were very happy, were very clever. When they sat down at the Berlin Conference to partition Africa, they did so deliberately so that they can uh, put us in different communities and countries. And you now, when we, we talk of Africa now, we now have the French speaking, we have the Portuguese speaking, we have the English speaking, yet we are on, on the African continent. And this was a deliberate move by the colonizers to make sure that they do not allow us to unite as a people on the African continent. 
And until such time, I think you have seen what, what happened recently on the, uh, this Pan-African uh, Parliament, where we, we ended up having two groups of people, if not three. One group which was calling itself the English speaking and the other one, which was also the, the, the French speaking. Until such time when we embrace ourselves as Africans, the English speaking, the English that we speak, the French that we speak, even the Portuguese that we speak is not ours. We had our only languages on the African continent. And we had one Africanness that prevailed at that time, which we should embrace and not see each other as from the north, the east, the west, and the south. And when we do so, it will make it easy for us to speak with one voice and people hear us as Africans. Even when you go to the, to, 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 um, to the United Nations, we have seen even Africans failing to agree uh, as Africans on fundamental issues that seek to develop Africa. Just because some are French speaking, some are English speaking and so on. And this, it was a deliberate ploy by the colonizers to make sure that they keep us uh, um, disunited so that we, they continue to uh, pull the shots uh, as it were. So one thing that we need to do, we have the capacity on the African continent because even before the coming of the Europeans, before the coming of the colonizers, Africa had an economic system that is why they could come to Africa for trade. We had a system which was there, which by now could also have developed because the European system had not developed to what it is today before that. In fact, it is what it is because of what they have done on the African continent. So we need to say to ourselves, which is true, we have the capacity, we have the brains, and we have people throughout the world from whom we can draw their expertise to come up with literature, to capacitate the, the, the educators on the African continent to begin to tell the history, which is an African history, to begin to give the consciousness that our African youth should be having. We have that capacity. Thank you so much. I, I, really, I really love that. We have the capacity, and I know we do. Look at that, look at all the all the universities we have. Oh, come on, we do have the capacity. The capacity is there. And uh, look at that. Look at that Nollywood in Nigeria. Hey, come on. We do have the capacity. Yeah. Why not? We have the capacity, sure. Yeah, yeah. We just need to uh, make sure that we really decide to do this. Now, we were talking, I I, I remember that I, I mentioned this thing before, and I'm going to ask you the thing again. And it, and it's this. I don't know if you have noticed it, but I have noticed it and I've, I always pay attention to it. When at the United Nations, a heads of state come to make statements, come to talk, do you see that African country, African leaders, they come to talk and nobody dare to speak African language? Is there anything prohibiting the speaking of Igbo, Hausa, Yoruba, Swahili, 
at the United Nations, or maybe I'm the one that is not hearing it. There is nothing that prohibits us from speaking our languages. But here we are talking of leaders, uh, some of whom went to school even when I had left school, who learned through a system that sought to serve the interests of the whites. And that made our African languages inferior. And it is because of this inferiority complex that we feel we cannot express ourselves properly in our own languages. And we resort to a foreign language. And I think, for me, I think I can better express myself in Shona than any other language. So when we go to, to, to the United Nations, if you can, because we, we in, in courts and even at the United Nations, we should be having interpreters who interpret Shona, we interpret Yoruba, we interpret uh, the Hausa and, and, and many other languages. We should be having them so that our African leaders can express themselves in the best way possible as Africans. In fact, they can derive pride in speaking in their own languages. And sadly, even in our parliaments, in most of the African parliaments, we see our leaders, they communicate in the foreign languages. Well, it's time that so time we poorly. as Africans... So, so time very poorly, when they in, whether they can speak eloquently in our languages. <laughs> yes, they wanted to convince, to argue in, in English, yet they can best argue in Shona, Ndebele, Swahili, Yoruba, and so on. Let, why can't they do that? These are some of the things that take us a little bit back because we are not valuing who we are, our culture, our identity, and our language, which is very important. If we can speak English, surely we can take pride in speaking Shona and any other African language wherever you are. If I, if I go to, you, to the United Kingdom, well, they said when in Rome, do like what the Romans do. Well, I will try to do so. But if somebody comes up with another language that I do not understand, I will honestly uh, 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 reply in Shona. And then it's, we will both be saying what? And uh, <laughs> I will also be saying what? Because you have spoken in a language that I do not understand. And you expect me to understand that. Where there is need for us to hear one another, to communicate, well, let us do so. But in an African a, a gathering, surely we must be able to speak in our languages. At the United Nations, where others come and speak in their languages, we must also take pride in speaking and expressing ourselves in our African languages. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I really I really look forward to that. I, honestly speaking, I, I really look forward to that, that uh, a, a Ghanaian president goes there and speaks the language of Ash. I think all the people of Ashanti hearing their, their language being spoken at the United Nations, they are going to be very proud. 
And I'm sure, sure. say for the Yoruba people of Nigeria, I'm not a Yoruba person. Of course, my local language might not be spoken there, but it doesn't matter. I just want you to speak Hausa because a lot of people speak Hausa in Nigeria that are speaking Isha, which is my language. It doesn't yeah. mean that because my language, my traditional language is not spoken, there no other African language can be spoken. That is not, it's not going to be okay. That also mm. means that when you go to Abuja, go to Asoro, go to, you, you want to speak at the national conference, if you can understand the language perfectly, speak it. Then we will get an interpreter to interpret what you are saying. That is because language is a powerful instrument. It's a very powerful, it's a window that open you up to a lot of things that are philosophy included in it. There are stories included, there are jokes, there are play. A lot of things are involved in the languages. So our leaders must help us, must make us proud by speaking our languages. If you don't know it, learn. If we can learn English, like you said, learn the French, learn Portuguese, why can't we also learn all the languages that we have in Africa? Anyway, now, uh, before you go to the next question, uh, I think you heard of uh, one mayor, is it a mayor or an MP in one part of England, um, a, a white lady of African, of Zimbabwean descent, who took the oath uh, in, in Shona uh, in in UK. That, that is what I'm talking about. Now, you imagine now um, that you uh, speak uh, uh, Shona, you are there in Zimbabwe, you hear it. Of course, you are going to be very proud because it, that is sure. donation. Mm. That is the connection. So, our leader must, must do that. When you are going to the United Nations, tell them that you don't speak English. Today, you are not speaking English. You are going to speak Hausa, speak Igbo. I tell you, by the time you return home, they are going to wait for you and clap for you because you make them proud. If you speak English, you don't make anybody proud in Africa. English is for the English. I'm not English. Mm, mm, All right. Mm, mm. Now, let's look at uh, another thing in, within the area of uh, political consciousness. This is opposition, and we're looking at the youth of today. Now, the question I want to ask you, Mr. Kennedy, is do the youth that we have today, because of course, not all of them are not informed. Some of them are informed, of course, because we are talking of the youth of jet age. Some of them are very informed. And some of them <coughs> have, do look at other things that are happening in other parts of the world and say, oh, I wish this could also be happening in Africa. And sometimes they, uh, they lay out the plan very well. But sometimes the system doesn't allow them because, hey, okay, you are coming to contest what is available here. So I'm looking at, do the African system, in many African systems, of course, we cannot just generalize it, but let's look at Zimbabwe, for example, let's look at South Africa, because that is where you are. Does it permit opposition to grow? Because we're looking at political consciousness, no? It doesn't mean that everybody must believe in one thing. There must be room for variety. Does it permit opposition to grow? Um... If you ask the system, the system that uh, we have on the African continent, if we take Zimbabwe and South Africa, the independence, when independence came in 1980 and 1994 uh, in Zimbabwe and South Africa respectively, one of the things that they had gone to war for was democracy and the multi-party system. And um, which means that 
the system itself permits multipartism, be it in Zimbabwe, be it in, uh, uh, in South Africa. And um, I think uh, if you look at the Zimbabwean context, we have seen quite a number of political parties emerging. In South Africa, it is the same. And some of the political organizations are being led by young uh, people. Your question is saying, does, does the system allow? Yeah, sure, the, the system, by virtue of the system allowing the, 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 the formation of political opposition political parties, it means it allows them to, to, to exist. And um, the fact that they are supposed to reach a particular threshold in order to be funded by governments, it means the system allows them to, 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 to grow. But we must also understand that the growth of a political party, be it opposition or a ruling party, is dependent on the leaders of that particular, of that particular party. The, the system, the environment allows that political opposition political parties be there. Once you form a political party, it becomes your responsibility as a political leader to make sure that your party grows. And in order for your party to grow, it must have policies that resonate with the aspirations of the people or the constituents that you seek to represent. And if it is at variance, then the growth of the political party will be difficult. And I don't think that um, there would be any political organization uh, that will nurture another political organization so that it grows. Any other political organization will make sure that it grows itself. Then it becomes the responsibility of any other political party to make sure that it also does the best that it can to make sure that it grows. Because by virtue, like I've already said, of the system allowing the political parties to be formed, it means that there is room for them to grow, which is now dependent on the capacity of the leaders of that particular organization. Then also, we have, I've already mentioned earlier on that um, even in ruling in most of the political parties that we are seeing on the African continent, um, they are beginning to embrace the the youth coming on board in 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 their um, uh, political formations, and that in itself speaks to the realization that the youth are the future of tomorrow, and we are beginning to see uh, youthful leaders being appointed in be it in ministerial positions as deputy ministers being given opportunities to run certain commissions and so on that in itself again um is something that we should give credit to some of our african leaders then it becomes the responsibility of the youth to show their metal in leading in organizing and to show their metal and desire to become future leaders by doing the right things. Hmm. That is very interesting. Absolutely interesting. We must uh, praise uh, 
a leader where those won't happen. But let's not forget that many African opposition leaders have to find themselves in exile. And for example, just to give you an instance, we, we can we can say, use Nigeria as an example. Nigeria is not even a very hostile country that we have a democracy that's a trade on. Do you know that the guy who uh, the journalist who revealed what the Nigerian soldier did to uh, the innocent youth in in the Lekki Beach shooting have to flee Nigeria for her life? We are not talking of a, a dictatorship. If we cannot even permit that. What kind of youth do we want? We, do we want youth that we can control or the youth that can be free to express themselves? What Africa seeks, what Africa wants is a homegrown opposition. That is all what Africa wants. An opposition that is African, which is homegrown. What we have seen in Africa, in most, in most cases, the opposition is not an African opposition, is a front of some other people that do not want the African men to be running their own economies or their own countries. And all what we appeal for, and what I think we should all do as Africans, is to make sure that we have homegrown African opposition. That speaks to the aspirations and the hopes of the Africans in their particular countries. Not oppositions that want pander to the whims and caprices of the former colonizers. That I think it does not serve the desires and the wishes and aspirations of the people on the African continent, other than perpetuating the discrimination, the, 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 the exploitation and the plunder that we have seen, that we saw before, we, we we became independent. All right, that is also fair enough. But when we have uh, oppositions, uh, youth who are speaking us against a particular uh, policy disappearing in the country, are, are you saying that is a foreign opposition? Like in the case of Nigeria, for example, where the military uh, shoot that innocent civil, innocent youth that were protesting in Lagos. Uh, so is that are you is that what you are referring to as foreign opposition? I don't get that part very clear. No, I, I'm not. I, I'm not referring to, to 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 the context that you are you have given. That that's a, a, a foreign opposition. Um, I must also acknowledge the fact that um, um, on the African continent, there are times when um, the, the the incumbent. I have been hard on, on emerging uh, political organizations. And uh, uh, to a certain extent, it is regrettable. But also we must acknowledge the fact that in order for us to grow as African people, the opposition that we have should be informed by the circumstances the aspirations, the hopes of the people on the African continent. Anything else that happens, which is contrary to what I, we think serves the interests of the people, may be regrettable. Be it being perpetrated by the opposition or the ruling party. Because 
we need harmony between the ruling parties and the opposition. But like I've already indicated earlier, the problem and challenge that we have seen in most of our African countries is that the opposition is there only to critique without giving any solutions. It looks like the opposition is, does not belong to that particular country. It is blame after blame. It does not even give solution. If, if a government has made a mistake, remember governments are run by people, people who make mistakes. Some of them are huge mistakes. They must be made to be accountable. And as we make them accountable, we must also make sure that we have alternatives which we proffer. And only then when we have proffered the alternatives, if they do not use them, that's when we'll then say, then into what you are doing does not serve the interests of the people or, or, of this particular country. But when we have not, we can't always say we will. Let us be in power so that we can show you how the government can best be run. Suppose the government continues for 10, 15, 20, 40 years, and you are not in power, should the country be run down just because you do not want to give your, your suggestion to the, paper, to the people who are running at that particular time? Isn't it that uh, when you are in opposition, you are a government in waiting that should also be giving advice to the other so that you serve the interests of the people that you seek to represent? That is what we need to do, working as a collective, because we belong to one country, the ruling party and the opposition. They belong to one country and seeking to serve one people. Hence, they should unite and work together. They should not see each other as enemies. And it is when the opposition sees the ruling party as an enemy that the ruling party also responds like in a manner that, uh, that treats the opposition as an enemy. And if the, the ruling party sees the, uh, the, the opposition as, enemy, as enemies, then they also take arms and they start uh, fighting the ruling party. That should stop on the African continent because we are brothers and sisters and we seek to serve the same community and the same people. So everybody should understand that that is the reason that uh, we are there. If we are a leader over people, we must be there for their interests. I completely agree with you. And of course, in some, in some cases, the people that are, I, just so that I mentioned that they get even that are disappearing, so that they're not even in politics. Maybe they are just some youth who disagree with what is going on and sometimes they, they have a very harsh punishment for, for those in power and, and, that, and that is not happy the development of the political consciousness because then they, they, they lose interest in it and we usually know how uh, what end in most of the cases. All right now the, the next question would be uh, what do you see to be the uh, one of the main challenges or some of the challenges that are facing political consciousness because we want people to be aware of what is going on. They, they should grow and they should to the level that you are talking about now which is we must understand that the people is a real team we are just there to serve 
But you need to get there, of course. You need to be mature. So how do we build, what do you think are the, are the hindrances to building through political consciousness? Um, I, I, can't, I can't think of any because um, the template is very clean and clear that everyone who wants to work for his or her own country can do so at any given time. The, we can give political education. We can, you can invite people to, to be politically conscious. I th the only thing that one needs, it should come from within in order for you to be able to serve the people. It should come from within in order for you to serve a community. And as much as people um, might be failing to get into schools and so on, there are many inroads that can be used for people to be politically conscious. Because politics at times is, you, you do not become politically conscious by going to school. But the experiences and the things that are happening around you will make you politically conscious because it is from the things that are happening around you that you will know who you are, you will know how certain things need to be done, and you will also be able to appreciate what needs to be done in order to be a master of your own destiny. I think for hindrances, uh, other than what we were talking about earlier, where harsh uh, punishment might be given for somebody who who have who it might be be seen to have gone over overboard. Otherwise, I think everyone can become uh, uh, um, politically conscious on the African continent and elsewhere in the world, as long as you are passionate about your environment, your community, and your country, because there is no one else who can do it for you other than yourself. Thank you for that. Now, uh, because it is very important, uh, the political consciousness among the youth, particularly looking at the youth of Africa today, uh, because you have been a youth, you have participated, and you know why, because up until that point now, you are still politically active with me, is something that is vital for you and for your country. So, assuming you were to be, you were to have the power to do it, what would be the three best things to do to help bring political consciousness uh, or to help grow it among young people? Um, three things that I would advocate uh, if I had the power to do so, uh, assuming that I don't have the power. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is um, I would really want uh, the youth to um, to have a political identity, a political identity that embraces the uniqueness of the African identity, a political identity that embraces the history and the culture of Africa. And it is through this identity that they can identify themselves 
with the demands of the politics in Africa. And this can only be instilled through a deliberate a, a, a approach of empowering and capacitating uh, our, our youths, particularly at the exit point from high school, prior or before they go to university or go to um, uh, technical colleges. Secondly, I would also call upon youths not to shy away from political participation on the pretext that it is the preserve of a certain group of people or a certain age group. Given that the future lies in the youth of today, our youths must be courageous. They must be brave to engage in creating a view that they are masters of their own destiny. And that appreciation that in them, they can craft their own destiny will make sure that their participation in the political arena is productive for the countries and communities that they serve. The other thing that I would also think of is uh, in the realm of uh, educating our youth, our youth through advocates. And through advocates, we would then seek to develop a sense of their own rights so that they understand their rights as a people, so that they can understand they uh, wanted to do with the iniquities that we find in the countries. Certain things, the unfairness that are happening in our economies, which are avoidable because of corruption, because of certain policies and so on. Our youth, uh, through advocates, they should be made aware of how they can make our leadership, the current leadership, account to them. Because many a times what we have seen is that people go to the ballot, they cast their ballots, um, and the people become members of parliament, they become councillors. And once they are in those leadership positions, they are now are bosses. They become bosses and at the same time, they say they are servants of the people. The boss part, they are given by the people who put them in power. Until such time, people who, uh, the youth in this context, until such time that they accept that the people whom they've sent into leadership positions are their servants. They are their ears, they are their eyes, they are their feet, they are supposed to work for them. They are supposed to account for them. They, if they do not do the right thing, they have the right to withdraw their votes, to withdraw them. My conclusion uh, is that um, 
in relation to political consciousness among us, the uh, people on the African continent, particularly the youth, it is important that um, we understand that uh, political, conscience, political consciousness is the awakening of the people to their true political role and actual identity. It is a commitment that we must make to human rights and justice and, and understanding of power and inequity in social, political, economic systems, relations, and the values. It, it should be about the injustice and the systems and the uh, structures that perpetuate it. And as a result, if you are politically conscious, you do not fight or mark the man, you mark the ball. When one is politically conscious, it is about all about caring about your community, and it is also about making sure that you make good for your community. And it becomes imperative for us on the African continent to develop this political consciousness, because it is important for us to be conscious so that we are active participants in our economies, in our communities, and be masters of our own destiny. The challenge is on the youth, as the leaders of tomorrow, as the future, to make sure that they do not take political consciousness as an option. It should be something that they prioritize all the time because it took others' political consciousness to liberate Africa. And we are who we are because of the work that others did others who were before us, and we must carry on doing what we are supposed to do to grow our countries, to grow our economies, and more importantly, as we develop in our consciousness, let us always make sure that our leaders account for the things that they do while in government. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Kennedy. It has been an honor here and highly, um, we are highly fortunate to have you around to share with us. So we really appreciate your time and your, and your sharing this evening. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.
If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehe podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehe Ewafo. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you in the next episode.